All right. Welcome back to Star Wars Meanderings and Ramblings. Um, today we're going to be talking about The Mandalorian Season 3. Long overdue, but I had to kind of marinate on it for a little bit before I jumped into a review. Only because I'm the type of person that, you know, I either will get really excited about something and I think it's the best thing ever, or I'll be really disappointed in something and then I'll be really negative about it. And I like to give myself a little bit of time to think about it, you know? So as a reminder, you can find me on Instagram at the virtual Jedi. And you can also go to my blog where I've had a lot of written posts before I was doing this. And it's at Star Wars Anon, A N O N dot WordPress dot com. And that's also one of the best ways that you can get in touch with me. You can leave comments about the podcast there, and I will love to hear from you and respond. So, yes, today, Mandalorian season three. Now, you guys know me, I love the Mandalorian. Always, like, the first two seasons lit this childlike fun in me that I felt like has sometimes been missing from the Star Wars universe since Disney took over. I thought it was a really good idea. I thought it was genius. And, of course, there were a few stumbling episodes where I was like, eh, I don't know about that one. Filler episodes, as I like to call them. But in general, have loved The Mandalorian. And Grogu. I mean, Grogu's my my man. Love him. So... Season three, though, I felt like it was a little bit shaky. There were times it felt a little slow. And I understand that all the seasons, again, have had those filler episodes with slow parts of it. But it's felt a little scattered. They were trying to make points. And then occasionally I was just like, wait, but where was that going? What was the point of that? I mean, why did we spend so much time on that? Perfect example. Dr. Pershing's episode. What episode was that? Um, that was the episode three, which was chapter 19, The Convert. We spent a very little bit of time with Din Djarin, Grogu, and Bo-Katan. And then, bam, whole episode was on Dr. Pershing and the New Republic Amnesty Program. We also got introduced to Elia Kane. Elia, is that how you pronounce it? I actually don't know. Did we ever hear her name? I can't remember. But anyway, um, if we did, it was a split second. I actually loved that episode, and they stressed the New Republic Amnesty Program, this rehabilitation that ex-Imperials go through when they, I don't want to say defect, but when they come back to the New Republic and say, oh, I've seen the error of my ways, I was just following orders, please take me back, they go through this, you know, rehabilitation program, and I thought that episode was fascinating, and then we kind of, like, what, where did we go with it? I was hoping to see more of Dr. Pershing. I wanted to see more of the rehabilitation program and what they were doing and what Elia Kane was doing behind the scenes. And even though we got to see more of Elia Kane and see that she was eventually working for Moff Gideon, I thought there was like this whole other subplot that could be really interesting. Now, that's not to say they're not going to bring it up in other TV shows and movies. I think that that was an introduction to something that might become really big later on. But if anything, it was just this reminder that Dr. Pershing was working on cloning so that they could bring that back. And I was like, well, what, what, why? Why did we watch this whole, like, it was one of the longest episodes, right? Like, a whole 50 minutes on Dr. Pershing and something that could have been, like, 15, realistically. And you could have gotten the point of Elia Kane and Dr. Pershing and the rehab program and he was working on clones and blah, 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 blah. So I feel like that's where it kind of felt scattered and it stumbled, where they bring in these concepts or these filler episodes. And I was like, oh, maybe that'll be important later on, like spending that whole time with IG-11. 
And then he goes crazy on Grogu and you're like, oh, okay, never mind. And then he's like, I'm going to go off and find another part for him. And then we get distracted and he goes to Mandalore. Like, There's just some parts that were stumbling and I felt kind of like, okay, now we're bringing it back to IG-11 in the second to last episode. He's now IG-12. It was just like, oh yeah, here you go. I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain that properly. And again, this is why the podcast is named Meanderings and Ramblings, but there were just parts of it that I felt like, did we really need to do that? Um, so I guess, um, the, another part that kind of felt like they were stumbling along was when it feels like they didn't know what to do with Grogu at times, you know, we've spent two seasons focusing on him and his force and there was a quest to get him back to where, to his people. And then he goes back to Jin, Din and it's like, then they just resolve that storyline, threw him into the Mandalorian culture. And then he kind of felt like an afterthought. Not that that's a bad thing, but it was an abrupt shift from what we're used to. And, like, after all this emphasis being placed on Grogu and who he is, now all of a sudden we're not really seeing much of him. So what I tried to do when that was happening was remind myself that this is a book, essentially, with different chapters. I mean, each episode is a chapter. And when you look at it as a whole book, I actually thought this was a good place to end. I thought the ending of season three was like, okay, we're done. I'm glad that I loved this show. I'm glad that we got to follow Grogu's path. And we kind of went to Din Djarin and the Mandalorian culture. And, you know, it, it followed two characters and their character development. Din, Grogu, his quest to find Grogu a home, the character development of a father figure for Din. Then we're looking at Grogu in the forest with Luke, even though technically that was Book of Boba Fett, but whatever. And then we look at the Mandalorians as this larger picture and his place within that, the warring factions, the creed, the history, the culture of the Mandalorian people. And I was like, ah, oh, what a, you know what? When we look at it like that, it's actually quite cohesive. And also we, you know, we, there's a subplots of Moff Gideon and the cloning, the First Order coming to rise, the New Republic, like trying to create a better place, but having these weird rehabilitation programs that are kind of scary. When we look at it like that, I thought, you know what? This is great the way it is. It is kind of a book, and it should end now. And so I was very annoyed to find out there was going to be a season four. I think this wrapped it up nicely. I thought the third season was a bit scattered, but I enjoyed learning more about the Mandalorians, seeing them come together as a group. I thought that was a good, you know, nice touch to a show called The Mandalorian. Again... I don't know why there's going to be a season four. Is this one of those things where they just can't let it go because it's such a cash cow? Or is it just like, I mean, are they going to have them really grow up? Is this going to be like 20 years later? Maybe that would work. I don't know. And so I'm kind of hesitant to see where it's going to go because this last season kind of left me feeling, Meh. so I don't know. Anyway, I took notes on all the episodes. I figured we would just kind of go through them quickly um, since I don't want my notes to go for what to waste because that is, I'm selfish like that. <laughs> so chapter one, I mean, season three, episode one, chapter 17, the apostate. And they, this is when the Mandalorians bring the young child into, I was totally fooled by the beginning. I thought we were looking at a flashback of Din Djarin, you know, um, and <laughs> it's like kind of funny, but, the, but we had that whole pirate crew on Navarro. So then you get to find out what's going on with, um, Grief Karga and how he's risen through the ranks and 
the pirates and how the pirates play into a larger scheme. And it, it was okay. And like, again, we had the IG-11 thing, which was like, okay, why did you bring that into it? But then I guess he plays a part later on. Um, we did see those those uh, hyperspace whales or squids, which is what I call them. But I guess they're actually called pergil, pergils. Um, and if you haven't seen Star Wars Rebels, they play a huge part in Star Wars Rebels and helping Ezra Bridger in the finale defeat Thrawn, Grand Admiral Thrawn. And as we know, Grand Admiral Thrawn is making his live action debut in Ahsoka, the TV show Ahsoka. So I'm sure these hyperspace whales and squids are going to come into play again. And they threw that into this first episode of season one, I think, to kind of connect all the storylines. So if you haven't seen Star Wars Rebels because it's animated and you jump into Ahsoka because it's live action and these squids, whales, purgles, whatever, come into play. You're not like, what are they? But if you've been following Mandalorian, you kind of get a hint at it. Again, I don't know if they're going to show up in Ahsoka, but that's my general feeling, the way things have been going with the Disney universe. Um, I thought it was kind of funny, like the whole waters, if the waters are poisoned on Mandalore or the air is poisoned and it's not, and then he has to go into the water and then they see that... uh Mandalore beast or whatever. And I'm like, wow, this is actually a really good example of why you shouldn't join a cult. Like, this is crazy or like a frat or something. Like that. No, no, no offense to frat people or sororities. But like, this kind of reminded me of like, you know, initiation and cults and all that. And I was like, we're looking at this as like this, this is the way and this great thing. And it was kind of like weird. Um, I feel like they had a lot of explaining to do in the first episode. Like, Cara Dune is gone. And I actually did miss her presence. I'm not saying, like, they did the right or wrong thing with Gina Carano. But I missed her presence. She was a really good character. And it's a shame that they kind of had to oust her, like, the way that they did. Because she brought a good quality to the show that Bo-Katan doesn't. Like, I'm not a huge fan of Bo-Katan. I get it. People love her. I just find her to be... So serious. And Cardoon had this other side to her that just wasn't so serious. And it, it like showed that she could hang with the guys. And she was like the kind of female character that I look up to. Bokatan is not relatable for me. So then we move on to the second episode, which was the Minds of Mandalore. And that's like, um, you know, Bokatan has rescued Dinjarin and um then they that was actually then that was episode one. But then he goes and gets red from Pelly um, and goes to the. Oh, no, wait. Never mind. So the whole saving of Dinjarin was episode two. Yeah, because because Bo and episode one was like, no, or chapter 17 was just like, Mandalore's ruined. I'm going to sulk in my castle this whole time. Yeah. So she rescues him because Grogu goes and gets her in episode two. Totally forgot. Okay. So my bad. But. My my thoughts still remain. So he goes down there and there's a creepy like cyborg thing that's like kind of reminds me of Darth Maul and the depths of the trash stuff and then also kind of general grievousy. Um, I thought the resolution happened really fast with him being reinstated into his little cult. The This is the way cult. I was like, huh, they wrapped that up quickly. So what's going to happen next? Right. Well, what happens next is chapter 19, The Convert. Um, and that's the one that I talked about with the Imperial, you know, um, rehabilitation program. And again, I loved that episode. I know we didn't spend much time with Dinjarin and with um, Bo-Katan and with Grogu, but I really, really enjoyed the the 
like tricking and the sneakiness of Elia Kane and how she brought him to that Imperial ship and was like, no, no, you can definitely continue to do your cloning research. This is how you do it. And she betrays him. I still kind of stuck on like why she did it. Can somebody, like, maybe I'm missing something. But if Moff Gideon is still so interested in cloning and Dr. Pershing was one of the best out there, why would he then not want to have him? Why is she betraying him and then torturing him so much at the end? Like, I mean, was his was his brain completely fried at the end of that? Is that what we're supposed to take from it? Because wouldn't they notice, right? Like, you know, she's like, he's still a friend. And then she's like, I'm going to put this up to maximum. I What happens when you put it up to maximum? Should I be going down Wikipedia and going down the depths of this to find out? Or is this just something that no one else knows? I'm very, very curious about what happened to Dr. Pershing. He was turning into one of my favorite characters and now he's gone. And I just thought he was so relatable. Like I would totally be Dr. Pershing probably, which I don't know if that's good or bad, but like, okay, yes, yes, yes. I'll totally go into this rehabilitation program. All I want to do is just work on my podcast though. Can I just continue to podcast? And then this person's like, yes, here, I'll show you where all the old podcasting equipment is. And here you can start your own business with this podcast and do this. And I'd be like, oh my God, okay, I'll do it. Thank you. And then it sh- they would betray me and I'd be like, no, totally relatable to me. <laughs> Okay, so then Bogotan's um castle gets blown up and she can't sulk there anymore. Good for her. Then we go into like the foundling. Um, and this is like Grogu who's um got the mudhorn sigil and he's using the force against the combat training. And then I think is this the one when they get yeah, so they get um captured by that raptor. Now here's a problem with this episode. Their jetpacks run out of fuel, right? And you're like Oh, okay. I didn't know that they relied on stuff like fuel. Um, but then in the last episode, the finale, they're all flying around and doing major combat with their jetpacks and not running out of fuel. When you introduce fuel and stuff running out and, and blasters running out of bullets and with the, the last Jedi with the hyperspace tracking and the fuel running out there and then you've got the fuel in the jetpacks when you introduce stuff like this and then you ignore it later on you're you're asking for a huge issue in the universe the whole point of these kind of things in a sci-fi universe is you d- suspend disbelief and you don't run out of fuel because you just don't you don't run out of blaster bullets because you just don't even though chewy has a whole you know sheath whatever but it's just one of those things that was like as soon as it happened i was like oh really they're running out of fuel Again, I think this episode was trying to, you know, Vizsla, pre-Vizsla, or whoever. No, he's not pre-Vizsla. Sorry, that's Clone Wars. But Vizsla, Ragnar Vizsla, is, you're supposed to make him, like, sympathetic, I think. Um, mm, didn't really feel like that at all. I just felt like he was still just another character or whatever. Chapter 21 is the pirate. And Grief Karga asks for help. From Carson Tiva, and he goes and tells Din Djarin, the Mandalorians all come, they help get rid of the pirates, and they get to have their own little space based on Navarro. Fine, episode, whatever, I didn't really care. Um, but what was interesting to me was the end of it, there's like this suspenseful thing where Carson Tiva discovers the wreckage of Moff Gideon, realizes he's gotten away, and then he finds Beskar inside. So you're led to believe that he's going to accuse the Mandalorians? That was my impression, and then that never happened. So again, that was one of the parts where I felt like it stumbled, where he was like, oh, the Mandalorians? What? And again, maybe I'm missing something. But it just felt like, oh, what? Okay. 
um, just kind of that was just kind of left hanging there where you thought the New Republic was going to go after the Mandalorians, but didn't. Episode six, chapter 22, Guns for Hire. So then they go to, <laughs> this is the worst episode, I thought. They go to this planet called Plazier 15, Bo-Katan and Dinjarin and Grogu. And this is where they met Captain Bombardier and the Duchess. Duchess was Lizzo, in case you didn't get that. Captain Bombardier was Jack Black. Total just like, what's the right word? I'm looking for the right word. You know, when like you put marketing stuff inside the Mandalorian, but like not the Mandalorian, but like if you put like a Pepsi can inside, it's kind of like, oh, you guys want to be in the Mandalorian? Cool. Lizzo, horrible actress. Like, oh, couldn't stand her. Jack Black was like his character. Again, they bring up this whole rehabilitation, the New Republic amnesty program. And you're like, oh, okay, this is going to come into importance. No. Then they have to chase malfunctioning Imperial and Separatist droids and battle droids and super battle droids. I was like, did I just watch a chase scene of a super battle droid? What? Oh, that was such like embarrassing to be a Star Wars fan. What a horrible episode. And then at the end, she challenges Woves for leadership, Bo-Katan. She defeats him. Good for her. We could have had that in the beginning of the episode and spent the rest of the episode on something that was actually important and not met Captain Bombardier, dare not seen rogue battle droids and see this other guy who had been part of the Separatists. Ugh, it was just ugh, horrible. Episode 7, Chapter 23, The Spies. This was interesting, right? Like, so if you follow anything online, you'll realize that the Chapter 23 was called The Spies, plural. Now, we knew one of the spy was Elia Kane. She rats out Moff Gideon. We found Moff Gideon is still alive. Okay, on a tangent on that, I wasn't thrilled Moff Gideon was still alive. I thought he had a good ending. I thought bringing him back was kind of like bringing Emperor Palpatine back, bringing the Death Star back again. It just kind of felt lazy. Like, come on, can we have someone else? Anyway, so um, in general, though, it's kind of interesting. Like, you see the the formation of the First Order in the very beginning. We've got Commandant Hux, which is General Hux's father. We've got Captain Pelion, um, who is talking about Grand Admiral Thawne. I thought for a minute we were going to see Grand Admiral Thawne, and he was going to have, like, a brief cameo because he'd keep talking about how he just never appears. Um, and all these, like, officers are creating the First Order with Moff Gideon, and it was just really fascinating, I think, to see that. So that was a part I really liked. Moff Gideon got Praetorian Guards. That was, like, hmm, thought that was just for emperors. Like, but I guess not. They're for hire. You can just request them whenever you want if you have enough money maybe or if you're high up enough in the um star wars imperial ranks <laughs> so then bo-katan goes to mandalore and she finds you know that little surviving clan of ragtag mandalorians and they decide they're all going to go and um figure out what happened and that's when they get confronted by gideon and his whole imperial like Beskar enhanced stormtroopers and all of that, and Dinjarin gets captured, etc. But what's weird to me is like this scavenger group. Why were they even part of the episode? I mean, they didn't notice that Moff Gideon had created this whole base. Like, how can you not notice that? The only reason they seem to even remotely 
like important was in the next episode when they bring them down to their little oasis and they're like oh you can grow plants here oh my goodness mandalore can be a self-sufficient planet once more it's like what was the point of them so a lot of like again going back to the internet and speculation it was called the spies right plural we knew Ilya Kane was one. Who was the other one? So then we thought maybe it was Woves. He went up there and he was going to get the message and get the Star Destroyer. Maybe he was going to be in league with Gollum Moff Gideon. A lot of people were thinking the armorer. I am so glad it wasn't armor. I actually love her. I'm so glad it wasn't her, but I was scared for a second it was going to be him based on the internet. I thought it was that surviving clan. Like, how would they not notice that he had built an Imperial base? I don't know. <laughs> but we never find out who the other spy is. Never. Does anyone know? Did I miss something online? Did I miss it? I don't know. I don't think we ever figured that out. Finally, we get to the last episode. Bo-Katan, um, she fights everyone with the armor and the jetpacks and this whole air battle. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. I liked that. Axe Wolves brings the Mandalorian flagship down upon everything. Grogu rescues Din Djarin, which, by the way, I called. I was saying to my friend, I said, "There's they wouldn't have put grogu in ig12 for no reason like just to have him move around more they might as well keep him in the pod like there's gonna be a reason i thought he was gonna come out guns blazing and blast up everyone and like <laughs> forego the jedi way or something but no he just rescued Dinjarin. but that was cute i liked it um i'm glad he did that um and then we see like moff gideon battle oh, we find out about the clones right like moff gideon's cloning himself with like the force which is a freaking weird like can you imagine walking by yourself naked in like tanks every day <laughs> like that was my thought i was like "Ooh, i don't know if i'd like that um but again why didn't he just rescue dr pershing like this this is where it starts start, things like weren't making sense to me like why would elia kane betray dr pershing when he's the best at what he does did they get everything they needed i mean in the second season we see like these snoke like things being created but it just seems like if he's the best at what he was doing he wants to continue his research and moff gideon's trying to make these clones with the force in them and we know this is all eventually leading to snoke and palpatine why is dr pershing being betrayed that stuff did not make sense to me so anyway they all fight and grogu just is awesome hail mary kind of like you know force field around the fire which i really liked i thought that was so cool i love it when he uses the force he's so cute but um that was the ending and then they go back to navarro grogu and dinjarin which kind of brings it full circle right because in the first episode he's talking about um the called he's talking about like grief cargo's like you can have a place here settle down with the kid and then you see them settling down and that's why i thought it was the ending of like a perfect series i mean not perfect but like it was a perfect ending to a series let's just end it there wrap it up we get all these different, you know, storylines that kind of come together. We see the Mandalorians joining and uniting at the end. And that was beautiful. And they, the the little cult, this is the way Armorer joins together with Bo-Katan and the ones that take their helmets off. And Din Djarin and Grogu settle down. And it's it's good. And, like, honestly, someone on Reddit was like, is this the only father figure we really see in Star Wars? And I was like, yeah, kind of is, other than Jin and um, her dad. Um, but at the same time, they're separated. This is the only real functional kind of father-son relationship we see in Star Wars. But it was a good ending. So overall, this was the weakest season, I think, um, out of both, out of two and a half or whatever. Uh, it felt like it was a little rushed. It felt like they were focusing on other things. They probably were. I mean, they've got the Acolyte. They've got... Um, 
the Ahsoka show coming out um, and just a few other things, right? So they're probably not completely focused on Mandalorian, but they knew it would bring in money. So they kind of just wrapped it up. And I wish they had spent more, more time on it. I think there was a lot of episodes that could have been erased, a lot of interesting things they could have done with the New Republic and with the rehabilitation, the New Republic amnesty program. There was a lot there that I think kind of went missing um, and they stumbled. But overall, I thought it, I would give it a 6 out of 10. Even the the finale, like there's no way they could have beaten the last two finales. They were so freaking good. And when Luke Skywalker came at the end of season two, oh my God, mind blown. I still get goosebumps. You can't beat that. So I get they had like a lot to live up to. But they, I still think that was, you know, like, let's just end that. And that's going to be it. But nope. We have a season four, apparently. I don't know what they're going to do with it. I will, of course, watch it because I love Grogu, but I don't know what they're going to do with it. So that's my thoughts. Um, please let me know. I know this went longer than I usually go, but I want to know your opinion. You can either DM me on Instagram or leave a comment on Instagram, or you can go to my blog, starwarsanon.wordpress.com. Until later, may the force be with you.